I knew a guy like that once. He was uh, going through a real difficult time in his life and um, feeling a bit depressed, really struggling. And he heard a voice and it said, cheer up, things could get worse. So he cheered up and sure enough, things got worse. <laughs> anyway. One of the things that um, Derek was talking about was us calling upon God and God calling upon us. So when we pray, that's assuming that we do pray, when we pray, we are calling upon God. Why do we do that? Huh. Do we expect him to hear or to listen to us? Yeah. I mean, why, why talk if nobody's going to listen? Some people do. Do we expect him to act on our behalf? Well, yeah, we do, don't we? That's the whole reason that we pray. We, we expect him to hear us, and we expect him to do something um, on our behalf. What about when God calls you? Do you think that God expects you and I to listen to him when he calls us? Yeah, why wouldn't he? Why would he call us otherwise? And does he expect us to obey? I don't know about you, but oftentimes there's a different way of looking at those two things. I call on the Lord and I expect him to hear. And I trust that he's going to do something about whatever it is I bring to him. But when he comes and speaks to me, oftentimes that's a different story. Uh, well, I don't know if I have time to do that or not. Uh, Lord, I don't, I don't really want to hear you because I'm afraid of what you're going to ask me to do. I was reading an article uh, a couple of days ago about a woman who was going through her busy, busy life and she had this sense within her heart that God was wanting to speak to her and she got real busy. She put it off, put it off and finally it, it became just such a thing that she needed to get away and spend some time with the Lord so she did and the Lord wanted to give her a blessing and give her joy she was putting it off because she was afraid that he would ask her to do something she didn't want to do or something that was difficult from her perspective and all God wanted to do was to bless her to uh, help her to understand his love and his grace for her we live in a world that's filled with sound some of it's noise, a lot of it is. Uh, sounds that oftentimes, as far as our life is concerned, have very little meaning, very little purpose. But we listen to stuff all the time. One of the things, a uh, psychological study, was that uh, people like noise because they don't like to be alone with themselves. And so, I mean, you're going to go two houses down. But instead of walking, you're going to get in the car, and the first thing you do in the car is turn the radio on. Or you're going to go for a run or for a walk. But you can't just walk. You can't just run. You've got you know, you to be entertained. So you've got to turn something on. So you're listening to something all the time, all the time, uh, voices and 
music and words and things that are going on. And people do that because they don't like to feel isolated or alone. But it's difficult because in hearing someone, first thing we have to do is be quiet. Have you ever been someplace and you're really trying to hear something and somebody's talking? Uh, what do you say? Shh, be quiet, be quiet, I'm trying to hear. Or even if nobody's saying anything, people are moving, shuffling around, doing stuff, making some noise. Sit still, be quiet, I'm trying to hear this. Because we want you to be quiet so that we can hear. And so God says in Psalm 46, he talks about the earth shaking and moving and all these kind of things, nations trembling and falling. Um, and God says, be still and know that I am God. And we get so caught up with the movings and the shakings and so fearful and so confused by all this around us that we don't take time to stop and listen to the voice of God. And if we do, then we know who he is and we know that he's taking care of things. So as you go through the scripture, Old and New Testaments, you're going to find a whole series of men and women throughout both Testaments who God calls. And oftentimes, probably 95% of the time, when he calls, it's not just a AU, he calls them by name. He calls each individual person by name. That's an awesome thing, isn't it? Now, nobody else in the whole world may know who you are or care who you are. But God knows your name. He knows your heart. He knows the longings of the heart. He knows the things, the deepest things about yourself that nobody else knows. Um, he knows why you do the things that you don't even understand yourself why you do them. He knows. And so he knows us better than ourselves, And he calls us by name. So the sad thing... As we read through the scripture, in Isaiah 65, again in 66, Jeremiah talks about it as well. This is what God says. When I called, no one answered. When I spoke, no one listened. Um, it must be a very frustrating thing to be speaking and nobody's listening. Uh, to call out to people and there's no one answering. Uh, all too busy, all got their own agendas, all doing their own thing. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, um, Proverbs, chapter 1, is talking about wisdom. It's personified as a woman. Imagine that. And uh, she gives an invitation. And the invitation is to anybody who will hear her voice. And she, she says, if you would have responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you. It's actually the word spirit. I would have poured out my spirit to you, wisdom, and made my thoughts known to you. But since you rejected me when I called, and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand, since you ignored my advice and would not accept my rebuke, I, in turn, will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then they will call to me 
but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. The waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. So it's important, as Derek was sharing a minute ago, who we listen to and who we don't. So wisdom says, uh, first time I heard this, I was in high school. I haven't been saved very long, and um, we were doing a lot of street work, um, downtown Houston and surrounding areas. <clears throat> we were dealing with um, drug addicts and alcoholics and gang people, and there was a, a young man who got up and spoke at a at a meeting with all of those people, and he used this text. And it was a shock to me. Wisdom was crying out and saying, uh, it's there for you. You know, James in the New Testament says, if anyone asks wisdom, lacks wisdom, all he has to do is ask of God who freely gives without rebuking. But you've got to believe that he's going to hear and answer. So it's not enough just to hear but then we have to put it into practice. All the wisdom in the world is not going to help you if you don't put it into practice. It's, it's the difference between knowing what to do and doing it. So we have these sad passages in the scripture. In Genesis chapter 3, we've got um, man and his wife. They know God, created by God, fellowship with God every day. And then one day... God comes to speak to them, and they run away and hide. They're like the woman I talked about a while ago. Ran away and hid, afraid because of their sin, their guilt, their shame. And so they ran away and hid. Ran away and hid from the only one who would be able to help them in their dire need. And oftentimes we find ourselves doing that running away from the only one who has the answer, ready to hear anybody else, ask all of our friends, call the psychologists, psychiatrists, doctors, lawyers, you know, whoever you can find, you've got to get as much information as possible. At the end of the day, you're going to do what you want to do. But we don't stop and ask God. So they ran away and hid. Or we could be like Jonah, man of God, a prophet chosen and used by God, anointed by him, one who spoke the words of the Lord to the nation of Israel. And in Jonah it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah in chapter 1 verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. So sometimes we find ourselves afraid that God's going to ask us to do something. Um, and it's because we go know God very well that we run and hide. And we find ourselves in the position of Jonah. When God calls us, he normally calls us by name. Uh, we find this true with the prophets, the patriarchs, the disciples, people like Mary, mother of Jesus, Paul, Ananias, people in the New Testament. <clears throat> when God calls us by name, it's so that we might know him better. When he calls us, it's so that we might know him. 
because it's only in knowing him that we begin to understand who we are. And apart from that, we have no clue. And we spend, some of us spend our whole life trying to discover who we are and we'll never know until we know who God is because we're created in his image and likeness. So when he calls us, it's a revelation of who he is and what he is doing. And Jonah was right in the sense that a call is often the first step towards a commission. And it's not like a job that God has for us. It's not like that at all. Uh, I need you to go do this for me. I don't want to do it. Uh, I, don't, I don't have time. I've gotten too busy, but I want you to do it for me. It's not that kind of thing at all. Um, when God calls us, it's a call to participate. It's an invitation to know God and to walk with Him, to be used by Him to fulfill God's plan and purposes in the world. Now, sometimes that's inconvenient for us. We have to lay aside our own plans, our own agendas, our own ambitions. And we think, oh, look at all I'm going to lose. Not understanding what all we are going to be gaining. Paul says, even the sufferings of this present world, even the harshness and the struggles, and he just got through listing a whole ton of what he went through. And he says, they are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. So it's not even worth. And you think about what all he went through. Uh, and Paul says, everything that I had, all, and he was uh, an important, powerful man on his way up with ambition and um, drive and commitment. And the Lord stopped him. And Paul later looked at that and he said, I consider all of that just like trash, like garbage compared with what happened when he called me? The changes that took place and the difference that it's made in my life. He said, all of my dreams and ambitions, everything that centered around me was trash. And God is offering me this tremendous gift. So what's our, what's our response supposed to be? <clears throat> as we walk through the scripture and as we look at it, Again, we're going to find these individuals who God calls by name, <clears throat> the ones who responded in a positive way, and not all of them did. Uh, some turned their back and walked away. Rich young ruler did, didn't he? Uh, and there were others, people like Judas, who started out and then turned back. Um, other names in the New Testament, a whole bunch of them in there that Paul talks about. So, but the ones who who responded, when God calls, their response is uh, literally, here I am, or very literally, behold me. <laughs> here I am. That's the response. God calls, and you say, yes, Lord, here I am. <clears throat> so, for instance, in Genesis 22, this is a man who God has called several times. And over a long period of time, because Abraham responded in a positive way, God was changing him from a selfish, fearful man into a man of great faith. Didn't happen overnight. Didn't happen without ups and downs. 
Uh, didn't happen without crisis and suffering and sorrow and grief. But through all of that process, Abraham was beginning to discover who God was. And as he began to learn more and more about who God was, he discovered who he was and what his plan and purpose was. And the world has never been the same. You and I are here today because Abraham responded to God. So God says to Abraham, he says, here I am. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Um, God was asking Abraham, and this was again after he had known him for a long time, to have this, the thing which he loved the most was what God asked him to surrender to him. That's hard for anybody. The thing you love the most, the person you love the most, give him over to God, step back, and say, God, in your hands, free from me. That's, again, giving things hands down. You know, we give things to God this way and come this way. We give them to him that way. It's out of my hands now. It's not mine anymore. So, that's what Abraham did. And God spoke to him. He got a revelation from God 2000 B.C. that people in the New Testament did not understand. And they crucified Jesus. God doing for Abraham what God had asked Abraham to do for him. So it's a call to participate, to understand, to be a part of what God is doing, to be used by God to answer prayers, to be used by God in the answering of your own prayers. Not from a selfish motive or a manipulative way, but because we're walking with the Lord and following His guidance and direction. So, in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1, Uh, Chapter 3. Because it's 1 Samuel, I always always think it's the first chapter. But it's chapter 3. This is the call of Samuel. Samuel's a young man. And he's uh, being raised in the household of Eli the priest. Now, Eli the priest knew God. But there were limitations to what he was willing to do even though he knew the will of God and God told him and sent angels to speak to him on more than one occasion to tell him, this is what you need to do, he didn't want to do that. So he didn't. And as a result, his sons were going to die because he failed to correct them. So these men, because these were grown sons now, They were priests, supposed to be men of God. But they were wicked men, sexually immoral, uh, using the people who came to God and bringing the gifts to God, using them for their own selfish, self-centered desires. Everything's physical, everything's material, everything's for me and what I can get out of it right now. And that's the way they lived. Now this young boy, young boy, Uh, From the time he was weaned, he lived in that household as he's growing up. All of this negative stuff going on around him. But somehow, 
in the midst of that sinful environment, God kept him pure, kept his heart safe, unblemished, and uncorrupted. And as a young man, God began to speak to him. Now it tells us there in chapter 3 that the word of the Lord was rare in those days and there were not many visions, not many revelations from God. The word of God was rare. Um, people didn't hear from God very often. They didn't have the scriptures except for the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, maybe some of Joshua and Judges. But this is during the, this is during the days of the Judges. Samuel's actually going to be the last of the judges when he gets a little older. So there he is, um, not a lot of opportunities, a lot of bad things going on around him, and yet God is speaking to him, and he calls him by name. Samuel doesn't even know who he is. Um, so it's a child hearing the voice of his or her parent, but because they've never met his or her parent, been isolated for some reason, they don't know it's their own parent. So he thinks it's Eli. It's in the middle of the night. And you, you get the commitment of this young man. His obedience is quick. His obedience is instant. And he just jumps up. I mean, it's in the middle of the night. He's asleep here. He's not thinking about himself. He's thinking Eli needs something. He didn't care what it is. Eli needs something. And he jumps up and runs to Eli. Here I am, you called me. And I said, man, I didn't call you, go back to sleep. And so Samuel goes back and he hears his name again. Somebody's calling it Samuel. He jumps up and he runs in, Eli, here I am, you called me. He said, I'm not calling you, go back to sleep. And this goes on. And in total, God's going to end up calling him four different times. Hear this young boy, but each time the obedience is instant and it's unthinking about himself. He jumps up and he runs. You know, well, I'm sure Eli was getting a little agitated. But Samuel, no question about not responding. No question about not responding. Even if I messed up, even if I made a mistake, no question about not responding. And God honors that. So what does it mean to say, here am I? It's an indication of a willing presence and service. It's a willingness to listen and it's a uh, direction of the heart to obedience. That's what it means when we say, here I am. It means, Lord, I'm here, I'm at your service you do what you want to do. I'm ready to hear and I'm ready to obey. God goes through the same thing with Jacob. He goes through the same thing with Moses. Um, does the same thing with David, Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah walked into the temple and he saw this vision of the Lord. And he became a different person. And every one of these men was ever the same again. They were not, they were changed because of the encounter that they had with God. They were not the same. 
And if we ever have a living experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, we will not be the same. So, God says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And immediately, because Isaiah had seen God, he had realized who and what he was, he had received the cleansing and forgiveness of God Almighty. And God says, Who can I send? Elijah, uh, Isaiah jumps up and he says, Here I am. Send me. I'm ready to do your will. And then God told him what it was, and Isaiah said, Oh man, how long do I need to do this? And God told him. And Isaiah did. So it's this incredible opportunity to participate in what God is doing. Um, did God have to use somebody to do that? No. He could have done it himself. But it's part of God's mercy and grace, God's humility, God's humbleness that he reaches down to us and includes us. And he loves us so much he wants us to be a part of what he's doing. He created us in his image and likeness and he says, I want you to know. That's what Jesus told the disciples in John 15, wasn't it? I don't call you servants anymore. Servant doesn't always get an answer, doesn't know what to do, or he doesn't know why things are happening. I'm calling you friends because I want you to know. I want you to participate. I want you to, to be with me, to know who I am and to walk with you. Didn't say it'd be easy. Didn't say it would be a bed of roses. Matter of fact, he said it's going to be hard. But what we get is we get to know who God is. Get to know him personally. When you think about your friends, is God one of them? So as we see God's speaking to people... Speak, for your servant is listening. And when God heard that from Samuel, that's an interpretation of here I am. Speak, I'm listening. You have my full attention. I am here, I am present. I am ready to hear, Lord, from you. Oftentimes I think about my prayers, and sometimes they get long, and uh, lots of words. And then I stop and I think, you know, one word from God is more important than all the words that I use in my prayer. One word of Him can change me. All of my words usually don't change a whole lot. <laughs> and a lot of my words are very selfish and self-centered. God's words never are. So as we pray, as I pray, I think maybe I need to spend more time asking God, what do you want in this situation, instead of telling him all the things that I want in this situation. He already knows the situation before I can ask. And it's part of God's patience that he invites us to come and share those things with him anyway. And he's patient and long-suffering. In Luke chapter 1, verse 38 we have another interpretation of what it means to say, here I am. This is when 
the Lord sent Gabriel the angel to tell Mary that she was going to have a son and there was no father, earthly father. No physical act to create this son on her heart. It was going to be an act of God. And this was going to be a miracle which God performed as he came into the world apart from sin. And he says to her that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon her and he will create life within her directly. God directly creating the life within her. She doesn't understand. Uh, God gives a very short explanation. She still doesn't understand, but she understands enough to know if this is God's doing, I don't have to understand it. And if God were to show us, we probably wouldn't understand it anyway. What we need to know is this is the will of God. This is the, what God is telling me to do and be attentive and obedient. And her response, here am I, servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. That's what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Not my will, but yours be done. That's what she just prayed. That's what it means to be present to the Lord. Then there's one other interpretation that we want to look at here in Psalm 40. Psalm 40 is going to be quoted in the book of Hebrews. Verses 6 through 8. This is a response to God. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written in the scroll about me. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within me. When we say here I am, it's saying, I've come to do your will, O Lord. I delight to do your will. Open my ear. Here I am. I delight to do your will. So as we started out this morning from the book of Acts, why does God call us anyway? And Peter was explaining to the people of Israel who had crucified their Lord and our Lord. And the Holy Spirit was speaking the Word of God, applying it to their hearts. They were cut to the heart. And they said, okay, uh, now that we've sinned in such a great way, what shall we do? And he says, repent. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because we can't even repent properly apart from God. Because repentance means to change behavior. Change attitudes. Change motives. Change outlook on life. And we can't do that. I can't change what I am. I've tried. Doesn't work. You can do it for short periods of time and even that's questionable because of the motive and the self-centeredness and the manipulation. Can't do it. And God says, 
if you make the effort, if you make the choice, if you just look to me, you will receive the Holy Spirit and he will enable you to do that. He will work that transformation within you. He will make the application of the blood of Christ. He will change the motive, the thoughts, the intent of the heart. And what that happens, then the behavior changes. So he says, the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. He's calling you. He's calling me. The promise is for us. And it doesn't matter even if we nailed the nails and drove in the spear. The promise is for you and for me that the Holy Spirit will come and make the transformation within us. So God is calling. Are we going to be like Adam and try to hide? Could it be like Jonah, run away from God because it's inconvenient for us right now? Or I don't have time? Or, hey, look, I, you know, I, I don't want to do that. It's, it's all about me, isn't it? And it's not. But those who call, who receive that call and hear it, who quiet themselves enough to turn from their selfish, self-centered ways and give an open ear, God will enable you to hear his voice. He'll call you by name because you can't do it for somebody else. It's an individual thing. So the promise is to you, to your children, all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And if you listen, you will hear his voice. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you're a God who chooses to call us and you don't call us in some impersonal way. You call us individually. You call us by our name. And God, I thank you for your mercy that you call us more than once. Thank you for your grace that was there for Jonah, which called him a second time. Your grace that was there for Peter, which called him a second time, even though there was failure and sin in between. Your call was there, the opportunity to know you and knowing you to discover who we are. So, Lord, thank you for the greatness of your grace that chooses to allow us the opportunity to participate, to be a part of what you're doing. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to value that and to heed your call. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.